He said, why are so many of my children rejecting their sonship? Through my son, I have given them everything that they could possibly need to be completely restored unto me. We're in a season now where Father God wants to pour blessings upon us like you would not believe. I'm here to tell you. You look around and it's a, it's a thin crowd today. But you know what? There's not one thing that is, that is discouraged inside of me because I see beyond the numbers. I see the quality of a believer he's making each and every one of us. I'm seeing the quality of sonship and the rich inheritance that's becoming a revelation inside of each one of us. Where we truly can't say it's by anything that we did or anything that we said, but it's only by the demonstration of his power, of his spirit. It's that inheritance that's flowing through us because we understand our covenant and our sonship in him. What is an orphan spirit? An orphan spirit is primarily a person who is living their life without having a home. How many know we can have the nicest home? Amen. We could have our dream house. We could have the yard beautifully landscaped, all the latest, greatest fixtures in our home. Everything perfect the way that we've always dreamed it to be. But still, it could, it could still feel like it's not home. Because home is where the spirit of being at home is. Amen? It's someone who longs for a place for security but can't find it. They long for a place where they can feel loved but they're not able to find it. They're looking for a place of value where they're valuable, where they feel affirmed but they can't find it. It's a place of purpose. It's a place where, they, where you jump up into the Father's lap and you feel his embrace as he whispers into your ear those terms of endearment that say, I love you, son, I love you, daughter, and I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I believe you can do this. Do you realize that Jesus could very likely come back in our lifetime? You look around, you see all the conditions, they are ripe unto his coming, amen. He's relying on us. And he believes in us. The baton that was first given to the first church, the, the, the Peters and the Johns and the Marks and the Pauls, has been handed down through generation after generation after generation after generation. We must not let go of that baton. We must grab a hold of it, and with everything that's within us, we must run this race, knowing that we have Father God behind us, that he's in us, that he's working through us. Amen. Amen. Paul wrote about sonship in Romans chapter 8, and as we were finishing the service last Sunday, I gave you an assignment. I don't know how many of you heard me, because the music was going, we're towards the end, all that, but I told you, I want you to devour Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to read it every day. I want you to read it two times a day, three times a day. I want you to meditate upon Romans chapter 8. Because the antidote for anything of the kingdom of darkness is to bring the kingdom of his marvelous light. It always replaces darkness. And what is the antidote for an orphan spirit? It's having the revelation that you are a son, 
of God, that you are an heir unto him, and you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Do you know what that word heir means in the Greek? It means to possess a lot. To possess a lot. How many know that in God, there's nothing that's impossible for us? There is absolutely nothing that's too difficult for God. He is more than able, and yes, he is so willing to lavish everything upon us. But we have to call upon him, don't we? And we have to realize that he wants that for us, that he wants to bless us so we can be a blessing to others. Yesterday in our evangelism class, I shared with those that came, I said, look, this is supernatural evangelism. It's not just handing out a track. And just hopefully people will read it. But it's being led by the spirit of the living God that's burning inside of you because you have such a passion and a love for him because you know that you're loved by him. You know that you're affirmed by him. You know that he's fully equipped you to do the work that he's called you to do. And so it's not you being the witness, but it's him in you. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That we can go and we can go minister. I have been so moved by the homeless in Rochester. Someone was talking about sending their kids on a mission trip. It was my dentist. She said that her kids went on a mission trip. And uh, she goes, they went up to the cities last summer, and they ministered to the homeless. And I said, do you realize that there are a lot of homeless here in Rochester, Minnesota? Well, there are. And I went to the landing last week because I was so moved. I never even realized. See, I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I, I I haven't watched a news program in probably two years. Because it's too negative. I don't want to hear it. I want to feed my spirit with good things. So I never realized, because I've been driving around it by, by uh, Silver Lake, the fire station that's there. I saw all these people just lingering around the fire station. I thought to myself, what in the world are they doing there? Well, here to find out, the city gave that for the homeless. When the pandemic came, these people needed a place to stay. They needed a place where they could shower. They needed a place where they could get food. They needed a place where they could just get out of the elements. Come on, somebody. And then I had an encounter with a woman the weekend before Easter who happened to be homeless. And I would have never realized that she was homeless. You know, we get this idea, this image of how a homeless person should look and how they should behave. And this person, she was a nice-looking woman. Her hair was nicely done. She had makeup on. She had had jewelry on. She seemed well-kept until I looked at her fingers. And I saw how her fingers were all black. And as I was talking to her, I said, tell me what you do for work. And this woman said, I'm a chef. Well, being from the hospitality industry as well, I said, oh, were you an executive chef? And she goes, no. I said, where, where did you work? I worked at this hotel. I knew the hotel up in Minneapolis. I said, were you the sous chef? And she goes, yes, the sous chef is the one, like the assistant to the executive chef. I said, what happened? She goes, well, when our governor closed all, everything down, she goes, I found myself without a job. I said, Really? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord starts speaking through me. And he said, tell her that 
I love her and she has great worth. I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I said her name. I said, God wants you to know that he loves you and you have much worth. And all of a sudden, she just started to bawl. I said, I'm sure you could get a job here in Rochester. They're hiring now. I could help you. I know some people in the hotel business. I'll help you find a job. I said, how, how, can, how can I help you? She goes, you don't understand. It's more than that. You have no idea, she said to me. And I told her about Jesus, and I told her about that, you know, he can turn things around. But can you imagine to get into such a state like that, where you're so hopeless and so hurting that you can't even receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? And she told me about the landing. I said, where are you going to stay tonight? She goes, oh, I'll just go over to the landing. I said, what's the landing? And then she told me, I go, oh, that's why homeless people are over there. I thought that was still the fire station. I didn't know. And so a couple of days later, I think it was Monday after Easter, I had to go down there. And I just wanted to just talk to the people down there. I want to get to know them. I want to get to know their heart. I want to get to know, why, how did you end up here? What can I do to help you? And I ran into a gentleman who used to attend this church. And he's homeless now. And he said, well, the, the other pastor, uh, he came down here, and all he did was smile at me. And he, he says, that's just a few choice words. I won't tell you what they were. But he, he said the same thing. You guys have no clue. How, do, how can we minister to people that are so despondent? I think there's even people in the church that are despondent, and they don't even realize it. And Father God wants to pour so much upon us. He wants to give us richer revelation of him. He wants to pour his spirit upon us. The, the scripture says he's given gifts unto men. He's given us so much, and he wants us to use it. This is our watch. What can we do? What can we do to minister, to be effective, to get people to know that there is a way? In, in Romans chapter 8, just turn there with me. Starting in verse 31, Paul says a lot of good things. We're going to come back to the first part of it as, as time permits. But he says this as he's concluding this wonderful discourse on what it means to be a son of God. And in order to be a son of God, you need to walk in the spirit and not into the flesh. Because the flesh is enmity against God. The flesh will never receive the things of God. So he's finishing all this by saying this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul's saying, listen, this is what God has done for us. If he gave us his very best in Jesus Christ, why would you think, beloved, that he would hold anything back that you desire? Amen. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
Do you realize, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, if you're here today and you're saved and you've got the Spirit of God inside of you, do you realize that God picked you up out of your sin and the place that you were in, and he took you out of that despair and that darkness, and he put you into a whole new class of being? You're a chosen person. You've been chosen of God. Hallelujah. You're a royal priesthood. You're his own special people. Look at somebody and say, you're special. And we're called now because we're in this state of royalty, because we're in this state of being a holy nation, his own special people. Now we need to proclaim this. We need to proclaim it to others. Amen. So he says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, for the Lord's sake, because of Jesus living in us, we are killed all day long. If you want to walk in the power and the glory of God, you have to realize that you cannot feed into the flesh and think that you're going to walk in the Spirit and be a strong witness for Jesus. We must be aware of what we meditate upon all the time. What are you thinking on? What are you believing in? How do you see your image? How do you see your worth? Amen. How are we ever going to go out and witness to people if we don't feel worthy that we can go out and witness to people? How are we ever going to be able to heal people if all we're thinking about is how sick we are? Who can bring a charge against us? God's special people, his elect people set apart for him. Amen. But for his sake, we, we, are, we are killed all the day long. The more you press in to the things of God, the more the enemy is going to bring up resistance against you. The more you're going to be persecuted, the more you're going to be, uh, you know, talked bad about and kicked around and all of that. Listen, if you're not going through something, then I wonder if you're really moving on with God. But if you're moving on with God, you're going to be persecuted. Paul said, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We don't want to hear that in our churches. No one wants to hear that. But it, it, that is the truth. For his sake, the devil is so concerned about you, beloved. He's so concerned that you're going to give a, get a revelation of who you are in Jesus. He's so concerned because you've got the dynamite of God inside of you. And when you get a revelation of it, all of a sudden, it's, you're going to start exploding. Mm -hmm. Just like the early church when Paul or Peter would walk down uh, his very shadow, it would just get on people and they'd get healed. You wouldn't have to worry about having healing rooms. All you have to do is just go walk downtown. Right. One after another. You might have to have somebody there to kind of pick them up afterwards and minister to them after they get their healing. Praise God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, we're going to go out. We're going to go harvest souls today.
He says, but it doesn't matter what you go through, beloved. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. God always loves you. God's always for you. God's always affirming you. God is always cheering you on. Do you realize that there's nothing that can separate you from his love? It doesn't matter what kind of perils come in your way. It doesn't matter what kind of persecutions at you. It doesn't matter what kind of sword is trying to cut you up and, 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 and put you down. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That word more than conquerors, you know what it means? It means to win in a super big way. Where you're just super overpowering. Wouldn't that be awesome? Every time you pray with somebody, not only do they get saved, but they get healed from internal things that they've been dealing with in their soul, and they get healed from physical ailments. Come on. Why not? In, in him, in Christ Jesus, we're more than conquerors. We can do this. See, when you know who you are in Christ, and you know what you have in Christ, there's nothing that's going to hold you back from going out and ministering. And what is ministry? It's serving. We're called to serve our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. We're here to serve this community. We're called to this community, and we're going to be held accountable for what we did while we lived here in the greater Rochester, Minnesota area. If we don't speak up, as it says in Ezekiel, then the very blood of those people that we were called to minister to, if they don't give their heart to Jesus, it's going to be held to our account. But the scripture also says in Ezekiel that if we share Jesus and they don't receive Jesus, then we're free from having their blood on our, on our hands. There are 10 characteristics of an orphan spirit. There are 10 characteristics. I want to put up this PowerPoint so you can see them. And hopefully you can read it. I wanted to fit it all on one slide. With a new screen, you're going to be able to see it real good. Come on, you guys, new projector. Ten characteristics of the orphan spirit. Number one, people with an orphan spirit. And these are people in the church. Maybe some of you might feel some of these things. No, it's not you, but it's a spirit that you've allowed to operate inside of you to condition you to believe a lie. But number one, people with an orphan spirit usually wrestle with continual feelings of condemnation. How many know that Paul said in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore no more condemnation who are in Christ Jesus? If you stay in Christ Jesus, you will never suffer one thought of condemnation. If you get out of Christ Jesus, the condemnation is going to come. He says, who sow into the spirit and not into the flesh. Number two, someone affected by an orphan spirit feels insecure with God and others. Insecurity. What's insecurity? It's an uncertainty or it's an anxiety about yourself where you lack confidence. Galatians tells us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Go ahead, put your arm out, look at your flesh, and say, flesh, I don't put one ounce of confidence in you. we got to stop thinking about ourselves and keeping our eyes on the Lord. Amen. I love um, 
the scripture, the, the middle scripture in the Bible, which is Psalm 118, verse 8. It's the very middle verse. If you go from Genesis to Revelation, this is the middle verse. It says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Isn't that amazing? Number three, it leads those affected by it to interpret things in a negative light instead of seeing that we are made a blessing to bless others. This spirit will skew your perception. And it will make you feel like you, that you keep on failing and that you're inadequate and you will never, ever measure up. Number four, those affected tend to have low self-esteem and low self-worth, which can actually masquerade in false humility. Because again, God never created you and me to live in a condemned state. So if we're feeling condemnation and we're feeling a low self-worth and you know, inadequacy, then what we're going to try to do is put up a facade that everything's okay. Number five, the orphan spirit is actually, a, this is a big one, is a blocking spirit against healing, deliverance, and miracles. How many know that everything that we get in the kingdom of God comes through something called faith? Well, if you're not walking in the spirit and you're mindful more in the flesh, where's faith? Amen? Number six, this fear of being rejected or not being healed or delivered will not only cause those affected by it to have unbelief, but will also provide them or provoke them to actually resist God instead of opening themselves up to receive what God has for them. Number seven, an orphan spirit will turn the hearts of fathers away from their children because the father hasn't felt the worth that he is affirmed and that he's able to lead, then he projects uh, that insecurity and it actually pushes the kids away from him. Consequently, it turns the hearts of children away from their fathers. Those affected usually are not good at submitting to authority. And then number 10, those affected by an orphan spirit tend to have issues with addictions and self-control. Now listen, when we talk about addictions, a lot of people think of the two major chemical things. It's either alcohol addiction or some sort of drug addiction, right? But can I tell you something? We can be addicted to a lot of other things other than those two things. We can be addicted to food. And there are people that, you know, you, you get stressed out. And you start feeling these feelings of condemnation and self-worth. And so what do you do? You open up the refrigerator and start eating. Because it gives you pleasure. Again, because we're, we're not meant to be in a condemned state, so we, we, we try to compensate. For some people, it's going out shopping. Well, that gives you the high and that makes you feel good, so just go out and shop some more. Amen? Someone with an orphan spirit is always a visitor, but is never able to come to the revelation that they have a home in Christ, and that Father God's there to love them. It's very painful to have these tendencies in the church. We have to let go of them. I'm not saying that people in the church aren't saved 
And maybe some of you have some of these feelings from time to time. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm not saying that you don't have the spirit of sonship. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is your soul probably has a little deficit. Your soul probably has a little black hole. And it just takes certain conditions to trigger it. It's like a scab. Right? That wound develops a scab. The healing has started. But all of a sudden, then something comes by, and that scab is scratched, and that wound is opened up again. So as a result, what happens is someone who has this influence of an orphan spirit is always living towards something. They're always living towards inheritance instead of living from inheritance. They're always living towards faith instead of living from faith. They're always living towards love instead of abiding in love. You understand? God wants us whole. Paul continually dealt with this orphan spirit. As I was reading through the scriptures, I saw this. In every church that he fathered, every church that he, that he begot, he had to deal with this orphan spirit. The, the church in Galatia, he had, he had to come and, and bring correction there because even though they were in the spirit now, they were starting to mix in the law and the things they did to the flesh. And he goes, what are you doing? Who bewitched you that you'd start doing that? You know, you started in the spirit, now you're going to go back into the flesh? Right? And it's so true, it happens time again. And in fact, in Galatians 5.1, he told them, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again into the yoke of bondage. Jeff, have you ever wondered why so many in the body of Christ have resisted the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, they've been taught that. Somebody told them that. Right? And that could be true. But could it be this orphan spirit? Because at one time, somebody had to believe, the early church believed in the power of God, and they, they moved powerfully in the spirit. Amen? So what happened through the years? I think the devil came in and sold a, a bill of lies to keep the church powerless. Amen. I mean, I remember I gave my heart to the Lord in 81. It was on the tail end of the charismatic movement. But it would, it would be nothing to go to services and have prophecies, to have messages in tongues and interpretation of tongues, to have healings take place in the service. Miracles take place in the service. I remember those days. Now we had an outpouring of the Spirit on, on Easter, and it's like, wow. We should be having this all the time. How many of you, be honest with me, how many of you were super excited to come to church today? Praise God, all you guys, you just wore my heart. Thank you so much. That gives me encouragement, thank you. I think sometimes it's just like, oh, we got another service today, right? Every morning we wake up as soon as our, before our eyes even open, as soon as the Lord's waking us up, we should say, praise God, another day to live for Jesus. Lord, what are we going to do today? Amen? Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Well, Paul gives us the revelation of sonship, and I'm going to end with this for today. Go back. Are you still in Romans chapter 8? I, I, I just love going through this chapter. He says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. How many know that in Galatians 5.16 it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The stronger your spirit man is, the less the flesh will rise up. And we know in Galatians 6.8 and 6.7 it says, God will not be mocked. As a man sows, shall he reap. In verse 8 it says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Corruption. That word corruption means decay. How many want to reap decay? How many want to reap stinky stuff? No. But he says, if you sow into the spirit, you'll reap uh, life and peace. How many want life and peace? Come on. We have to be aware of what we're sowing into. It's so easy to slip into the other if we're not careful. He says, for there's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made me free from the law of sin and death. We have a new law working in us now, praise God. It's a new law that trumps that law uh, of sin and death. In fact, it's made us free from that law of sin and death. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and 22, Paul says this, And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. The fruit that's inside of us now should be producing holiness. No one, I shouldn't have to come up here and say, live a holy life, live a holy life, live a holy life. If you're living in the spirit, you're going to produce fruit of holiness. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going you're gonna to talk like Jesus. And everything that you do, every attitude that you have, it's going to represent Jesus Christ. Amen. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. That law is not fulfilled until we live according to the Spirit of God and yield ourselves to Him. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John? He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Brittany talked about everything coming in seed form. It's true. What are you planting? Are you planting to the spirit or are you planting into the flesh? Hallelujah. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Amen. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Hallelujah. The flesh will never never be in agreement with God. It's always going to be at enmity with God and what he wants for us. In fact, James says this in James 4.4. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. He's speaking to those that are believers in Christ. He's telling them, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I looked up that word friend, and I wanted to see what it meant in the Greek. It's the Greek word uh, philos. It's where we get the word philosophy. It describes a love of emotion and an attachment to something or someone. Church, we cannot be attached to the world and still be a friend with God. You cannot have mixture. You cannot have mixture. Well, I know that's old-fashioned. I know that's why we're not packing it out here, because people love their sin. People love, they want to be like the world. They're more, they're congenial towards the world. But the more you're like the world, the more you're coming in agreement with the world, and the more the spirit of this world is going to get upon you, and the more that you're going to start decaying more and more in your walk with the Lord. What you become then when you're more worldly, more carnally minded, is you not be, you're no longer slaves unto righteousness and working the works of righteousness, but you become a worker of iniquity. You go back to your old way of thinking, that old man. And it creates, it creates a slow death where you're not, you're not excited about the things of God anymore. You don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to you anymore. Hallelujah. So those, he says in verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's no way you can, how many want to please God? Listen, we have to be so, we have to be so aware again of what we entertain. What we're thinking, I'm telling you that because the Antichrist spirit that's out there right now is super duper strong. And if you're not pursuing the spirit of God and walking in the spirit, which is a walk of love, you will fall into that old man like that. But the good news is this. Say it good. I'm glad glad there's something good coming here. He says, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Come on. How many got the spirit of God dwelling inside of you? Every hand should go up. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The more you're like Jesus, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you're in the word of God, the more you're praising him, the more you're praying, the more that you are just giving yourself to him, the more that sin will not have an effect in your life. If there's something that's holding you up, there's, there's a, a, a besetting sin that tries to pull you down, when just the right conditions are there, you don't have to give in to it. If your spirit is strong, that thing's going to go away. As I've told you many, many times, deliverance is instant obedience. Just be obedient to the spirit of living God living inside of you. His righteousness working inside of you is going to put that thing to death. That addiction will no longer be an addiction that holds you back or that vice. No, no, no. Because you become addicted to the one who loves you the most. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh. We have no moral obligation to the flesh. None whatsoever to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Say, that's me. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, here I am. I'm yours. In fact, he continues to say the spirit himself now bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you are doubting your salvation today, it's because the spirit of the living God, you've snuffed him out. You need to come back to the Lord. You need to repent from stinking thinking, I don't know what else to call it, fleshly thinking, and allow the Lord to renew the spirit of life in Christ Jesus inside of you. Amen. Verse 17, and I'll be done. And if children, then heirs. Again, that word heir means which a lot to possess. <laughs> We're heirs unto God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. Hallelujah. Father God, it's got great things in store. I say that to you all the time, but I want you to grab a hold of it because it's true. Truly, 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 we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. But it's coming, I'm telling you. We get to be a part of that. Our Lord is so good, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for allowing us to come here, Lord, and to feast upon you, Lord, and the faithfulness of your word. We are so grateful that we're sons and daughters unto you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that to be a son and to walk in the full inheritance, Lord, is to walk in, in the spirit of love, which you have come upon us when we became born again. We became born again of your spirit of love. And so, Father, I thank you for the rich revelation that you're giving to each and every one of us. I take authority over that orphan spirit, and I say, be gone and off of everyone in this church. We will not succumb to your lies anymore, but we know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we will walk in the full inheritance that you have given us, Father. I thank you for each one of these people. I bless them, and I pray that this week will be a supernaturally blessed week. Let everything that their hands touch prosper. All for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.